This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. There's a bit of good news out of the auto sector last week or so. Uh, I should say a good bit of news. Tesla is a watch because of their production numbers, but also the recent earnings call, which has some investors concerned. You also had the announcement about Ford and Chrysler looking about cutting back production of sedans to focus maybe more on SUVs and trucks. And also there's the story out there about a group of states looking to sue the EPA and the Trump administration over the potential rollback of fuel mileage standards. A lot to talk about. And when we talk auto industry, we go to our experts, John Paul McDuffie, Wharton Management Professor and Director of the Program on Vehicle and Mobility Innovation, and also Paul Eisenstein, who's publisher and editor of the DetroitBureau.com. Gentlemen, as always, great to have you with us today. Great to be with you. Yeah, good to be here. So uh, let's start with Tesla. Um, I guess, Paul, the reaction that we have seen to the earnings call uh, really has caught a lot of people's attention, but obviously still the production issues are there, cash flow issues issues are there. What are you making about what's going on with Tesla, at least in the recent, uh, in the recent past? That's the best answer I can give you. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this company is in so much turmoil, uh, and it finally seems to have taken Elon Musk and spun him to the point where he acted, I can only say bizarrely, during that recent call. He just didn't want to hear people who were not asking good questions. And he wound up spending, what, uh, 10, 15 minutes of a 75-minute call uh, taking questions from, I can only call him a psychophant, a real fan uh, who wasn't among the normal analysts who they let in on the call. Uh, And he's got reason to be worried. Uh, This was the worst loss they ever had, albeit slightly less bad than the Wall Street consensus forecast. They've got an investigation going into the safety of their uh, autopilot system. They're being sued uh, by all sorts of people. The NLRB is going after them for mass firing of what appears to have been people who had supported the union at their Fremont plant. And I'll just put a dot, dot, dot there because I can continue for another five minutes on all the problems uh, Tesla has. John Paul? Yeah, it's... um it's pretty striking to see this, uh, you know, constellation of things come together and seem to overwhelm, uh, I guess, everybody's perceptions and maybe Elon Musk's uh, behavior. I mean, he's been a kind of miracle worker, uh, you might say, a Houdini um, who's slipped out of tight uh, binds before. I do think that all the issues wrapped around the Model 3 uh, you know, what it represents to the company, how important it is to their cash flow, how much trouble they're having with meeting production targets, uh, this, uh, you know, analysis that they've over-automated the Fremont factory and that that is exacerbating um, many of the other problems there. Uh, that seems to be a particularly touchy area for him. I think it was a question about, you know, capital requirements, which would mostly be for the Model 3 that uh, – prompted his uh, nope going to the going to the fanboy uh question instead yeah. 
And I guess the Model 3 is what a lot of us have been watching as the true test of whether Tesla would make it as a mass market um, EV company. Yeah, and that's kind of the one that, that, as you have mentioned, Paul has mentioned in the past, uh, the potential there. And obviously, as the idea of, of the Model 3 was coming out, the interest by the consumers, the numbers of people that were putting down the deposits for that vehicle, and, and now the time frame that has kind of lagged in terms of the production of that vehicle— you know this. This is a, a this is a critical juncture for for Tesla and for Elon Musk with this car specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, I'm I'm actually just working on a story which will be live moments after we get off the air on a new AAA study that found that one in five Americans now says that they want to own an electric vehicle. That's up five points just from a year ago. And even if even if a fraction of that many people actually do follow up, it would boost sales from about 100,000 plug-based models last year to over 1 million a year. That's a huge number. Tesla needs that because they're talking about producing something like 400,000 of their Model 3s annually and another 100,000 of their Models S and X. Uh, and then they have more coming with the Model, uh, the model Y and the, uh, the uh, pickup truck and so on. So they need to have numbers like this. The problem is they also need to have factories at work, and they don't. And uh, even though they were bragging about how, f- how much they've improved production at the end of the third quarter, they were still 20% short of their revised target, never yeah. mind their original. They've got major problems. Well, but you're also talking about a time right now uh, where we have seen uh, oil production cut back. Uh, the, the, the cost of a barrel of oil uh, has gone higher. That has obviously uh, raised uh, gasoline prices. So, I mean, we had the interest still there, Paul, already. Uh, that you know, people still want to believe in electric and believe it. It will be a a great technology in the future. And, and some of the other kind of ancillary things around the industry would potentially be leading more people towards that. Yeah, um, that that is true. Uh, gasoline is approaching three dollars a gallon. We haven't seen that number in a while. Uh, with production being cut and all sorts of issues, we could see we could see that four dollar number again. Not too long from now, not too far into the future. Uh, and that certainly would help. But you've got a couple of things that will work against electrics in general and in t- and Tesla in particular. Uh, one thing, uh, we're going to see the end of those $7,500 credits. There's a, a cap on the number of vehicles you can sell that will qualify for those. And once you top that number, uh, buyers don't get seventy-five up to $7,500 in credits. That'll happen pretty quickly if Tesla fixes its factory. Uh, but also, Tesla has to face the fact that there are going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 100-plus all-electric models from competition in showrooms by the end of the decade or early, early in the new decade. General Motors alone has the Bolt EV now, and has two more coming by this time next year. Uh, VW is launching an all-new independent sub-brand called Volkswagen ID for electric models like the, uh, the reborn Microbus, the Buzz that they're bringing out, never mind several others. So Tesla faces a lot of competition from established makers that know how to build cars the first time. Are we getting, John Paul, are we getting closer to a point where 
And I know that that some people have have, uh, have wanted to get their deposit back. But are we getting closer and closer to a point where a lot of the people that either have bought Tesla vehicles already or believe that they wanted to buy one are, are going to really jump off the boat here? Yeah, I mean, there's, I guess, a few um, questions here. One is whether the loyalty many have felt, both people who've put deposits down and investors to Tesla, will uh, persist through this troubled time. And there are many more options now. Um, You know, some of the analyses I've read of Tesla's troubles these days say, well, you know, he had the market to himself for a while, and now he doesn't anymore, and so that's uh, you know a sign that they're definitely going down. Well, it all depends on exactly what happens with EV demand. We've had many predictions of a tipping point in the past, and I often like to remind audiences I'm speaking to that you know we just barely cracked one percent of sales worldwide that were electric, and that includes you know hybrids um, in the last year. So uh, it hasn't quite taken off yet. The investment that Paul spoke about of these established automakers into electric sure suggests that they expect EVs to take off. Um, I do think that the German companies have their own reasons for wanting to show uh, an aggressive move into EVs. For Volkswagen, it's mostly perhaps to help distract us from Dieselgate. Um, I think for BMW and Mercedes, after seeing Tesla probably just about every Tesla sale you could understand as a sale taken away from BMW and Mercedes. And they've kind of had the electric technologies, but haven't been quite willing to, to bet on them. And now they're yeah. saying, okay, we're going, we're going to make a full push. So, you know, uh, all these new products flooding into the market, if there's no demand, then they all lose in some sense. And you might see another uh, kind of backlash. If the market miraculously does start to take off, and not just in China, which is pushing it, but in the U.S., well, then there's more room for everybody. And then some of the strengths that Tesla has built up as a brand uh, and, uh, you know, as a, as a story stock might continue to play out for them. Um, but they do have to get their factory fixed. Uh, let's switch gears here and, and talk about the sedan, which obviously has has been a, a core item of uh, the auto industry for so such a long period of time, John Paul. And seemingly, I think the idea that 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 Ford brought forth really caught a lot of people off guard. Now, I mean, give us your insight on this because I always assumed that we were going to have a variety of sedans and not necessarily rely on SUVs and trucks. But it feels like Ford thinks that that is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I think Ford has had the problem of needing to somehow show that they're doing something differently in a way that uh, seems strategically uh, sound or strategically galvanizing and uh, reverses some of the negative perceptions that the stock market has had of them. You know, GM has done very well with some big decisions to, you know, basically get out of certain markets around the world, selling Opal and, uh, you know, doing much less, if anything, in India. And, you know, so you might say, oh, Global Auto Company is getting out of certain important markets. Uh, That should be really bad for them. No, the stock market has loved it because these have been money-losing operations. It's a sign of greater focus. 
sign of focus on more profitable uh, activities. Well, Jim Hackett at Ford is kind of saying the same thing. Look, we're losing money on sedans. We're trying to invest in all these new mobility uh, uh, innovations and mobility services and autonomous vehicles. And our SUVs and trucks are uh, selling like crazy, and we make a lot of money on them. So we're going to put our focus there. Well, the stock market did respond immediately positively. Um, But, uh, you know, for many people, it looks like, uh, you know, a short-sighted, uh, move that will leave them exposed if somehow demand for sedans comes back. I'm not so worried about that. First of all, they can. Uh, it's only in North America they're going to have products in their portfolio worldwide that they yeah. could always bring back. Um, many of these crossovers begin to be more or less undistinguishable from station wagons, which we used to consider not that far away from sedans. Um, it is going to give a lot of room for companies like Toyota and Honda, who have dominated sedans with Camry and Accord, to just increase that dominance and just make it harder for Ford to ever reverse that decision. Yeah, absolutely. Jim. Yeah, Paul? I, yeah, I agree with that. That That is one of the dangers. Ford has had a history of uh, taking some, some moves to get out of segments, then coming back in, struggling because they weren't competitive and they lost momentum and then getting out again. They tried to, uh, you know, uh, when you go back into the 80s, they scored big with the original Taurus, and then they let it become nothing more than the rental car, abandoned it, brought back a bigger version, and really, really missed the market. Now it's going away again. Um, In this market, I think they're probably right. Uh, They don't make much money on sedans. They'd have to invest billions to get them to sell. And... uh, sedan sales are continuing to decline. One of the best examples of that is what happened to Toyota. Uh, Toyota's Camry was traditionally the number four selling vehicle in the United States behind the three domestic full-size pickups. Well, this last year it dropped all the way off the top five. Uh, Instead, the Toyota RAV4 is that brand's bestseller and the fourth largest vehicle on the market, and then Nissan number five, and then Camry. So uh, even the Japanese are struggling to sell uh, sedans. In fact, one of the most amazing stories is the struggle that Honda is having with the award-winning new version of its its, uh, Accord. Uh, That vehicle lost a lot of sales this year, even though it was named North American Car of the Year. What do you think? What do you think will be the impact from a move like this by Ford uh, on their workforce, Paul? Well, in some ways, it's actually good because in today's market, uh, when you take, say, their Wayne, Michigan plant, which had been building slow-selling vehicles like the uh, the C-Max and the Focus, uh, and you had workers off the job because the production was so slow, now you turn around, you convert that plant to build the next-generation mid-size Ranger pickup and Bronco SUV, both old nameplates that are being brought back to life, uh, they're going to be struggling to keep up with demand. So they're going to be, right. if anything, pulling a lot of overtime and making a lot of money. I, I don't think uh, you'll find many in the UAW who are upset about, about the switch away from slow-selling sedans or coupes. And so how, John, how John Paul, will you think this, this will impact uh, the move for, you know, for Ford into other areas of technology to come forward in the auto industry? Um, I just wanted to add one note yep. to what Paul said, which yep. is that, uh, you know, in an effort to make particularly smaller sedans, um, you know, cost-effective, 
a lot of that production has moved to places like Mexico, and Ford has gotten some shout-outs um, from the president uh, of objection to moving jobs. And so if the decision to focus on SUVs and trucks uh, fills up the U.S.-based plants to overtime capacity, um, that probably removes that particular headache um, from Ford, at least for a while. Yeah, I'm, I think a lot of it is precisely to... Um, to free up cash and attention for the mobility services, for autonomous vehicles, for uh, connected car, for all the new things that all the auto companies are trying to figure out how to do. Um, Ford hasn't had so many, you know, notable successes there. They were one of the earlier uh, U.S. companies to have something electric, but they haven't had anything that's quite caught the attention like uh, the Chevy Bolt. I haven't had any designs that have been that bold. They did more with hybrids. Um, you know, they've decided to follow Waymo's line that uh, level four automation uh, is the really the right place to focus, and that's a, a, a play that won't um, mean they have products until the early 2020s, most likely. So, you know, uh, Mark uh, Fields lost his job partly because people weren't happy with the choices he was making. They thought they heard a lot about small-scale mobility services that weren't impressive yeah. and not enough on bigger bets like other companies were making. So presumably this lets um, Jim, Jim Hackett and Ford do some of that. But this also uh, plays into uh, another story that's out there, Paul, about the cost of vehicles these days. Uh, and the recent reporting for the month of April by Kelly Blue Book said, you know, the price was up about 2%. So the average price of a new car in April was over $35,000. Now, it already was in March, but still, we're talking about, you know, a time where the price of cars continues to be high, you know, relatively high, and you're talking about a lot of people paying well above $500 a month on a car loan these days. Yeah, and stretching out even then to uh, 60, 72. I mean, there, there are some people who are doing 96-month loans these days. Yeah. They're upside down, meaning even if they trade in, they'd actually continue to have to pay for that vehicle uh, after selling it uh, for, for some time. And that's a big issue. It means that fewer people are in a position once they buy to go back into the market anytime soon. Uh, we're at 17 million vehicles. Even even in a weak year last year, we got 17.2 million. And that sounds great, right? I mean, that's one of the all-time highs. But when you consider how much the population has grown, now the fact is a percentage of Americans who can afford and are buying new vehicles has shrunk. And it likely will continue to go down, and there's a couple of things that are happening. Uh, one is the price is going up. Uh, two, there's some new alternatives, these so-called uh, certified pre-owned, uh, nearly new vehicles with like-new warranties yeah. that people are getting. Uh, and, and for many folks, the only reason that they would buy a new car is because maybe there's so much new technology, semi-autonomous systems, for example, that they couldn't get on something two or three years ago. Uh, but you also have the rise of self-driving vehicles. Waymo is going to launch a fully driverless ride-sharing service out in Phoenix uh, in a matter of months, and that is going to basically bode uh, ominous for the automakers, because if that catches on, Right. Uh, we could see millions of people drop out of the new car market and say, it's cheaper for me to hail one of these driverless vehicles 
uh, than owning a vehicle of my own. Uh, let's switch up to uh, the the pending suit uh, for against the uh, EPA mm-hmm. and John Paul. Let's start with you. I mean, this is something I think a lot of people have kind of expected for a while now. Uh, as soon as the 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 current administration started talking about rolling back uh, from fifty four point five the mileage standard, the cafe standard, uh, there was a lot of concern that uh, that uh, we were going to see basically a, a very low number. Uh, it, I guess the ballpark number that's being pitched out by the EPA is around 40 to 42 miles per gallon that they would like to see it. How do you see this uh, all playing out potentially in the, in the near future? Yeah, I, I think uh, we have all been expecting uh, something to come soon on this. And uh, I think this fight between California and the other states that follow the California standard and the Trump administration is also uh, predictable. You know the way the, the the Fresh Air Act and these EPA regulations have evolved. Um, California was given the right to have uh, a tougher standard, and then other states were given the right to choose either the national standard or the California standard. And more and more have chosen the California standard. So, you know the the Trump administration could uh, you know content themselves with uh, 33 states that uh, they could just immediately impact the regulations for, but no, they are um, irked by California being able to set this tougher standard, and they're going after taking that authority uh, away from them. You know, it's it's a predictable fight between the Trump administration in California and the Trump administration and these regulations. The auto industry, I would say, is way more ambivalent about this fight um, mm-hmm. than you might guess. Uh, they will usually stand up and cheer when you talk about reducing regulations, but they have long planning cycles. They have been working to uh, meet these uh, aggressive uh, goals that the Obama administration set for a long time. They very likely would have asked for some postponements or some mild reductions, um, but it really is destabilizing for them to face the possibility of uh, a really dramatically lower set of mileage standards um, for the U.S. if they're selling any products globally where uh, standards are getting tougher, like the EU, it's further confusing. They they really don't want to have to make a lot of different vehicles for a lot of different markets because it hurts economies of scale. It makes product development more expensive. So, you know, I don't don't think they're going to say anything against this, but um, they're not necessarily rooting for the Trump administration. Yeah, actually, if if you look at it, uh, Jim Hackett and Bill Ford issued a statement last week saying they didn't yeah. want to yeah. see the the numbers roll back. Yep. Uh, this, in sharp contrast to what Mark Fields, the former CEO, said when he went to meet with the president last uh, last year about this time, uh, he declared, "Oh, cafe is going to cost a million jobs." Yeah, and Bill Ford, who's oh, tried to wrap himself in an environmental cloak for a long time uh, seem to have be irked by that approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the automakers know that being on the wrong side of fuel economy uh, can be a real problem. They want more flexibility. They wouldn't have minded if the EPA perhaps stretched it out, the 54.5 standard, a, a year or two, gave them a little more flexibility uh, to reflect market shifts, i.e. the, the big burst in sales of SUVs. But to see the numbers frozen, apparently, at 2021 numbers, uh, something like 25% less than what the Obama administration had settled for, uh, could backlash. 
And that's why you see manufacturers like Toyota, Honda, and Nissan in particular saying, we don't care what's going to happen. Right. We're going to continue as if the 54.5 standard was there. And guess what? The reality is with the lawsuits coming and the backlash, uh, there's a very good chance that by the time the Trump administration leaves office, if they're only in for one term, um, the, the rollback will never actually occur. The courts will tie it up and the automakers will still have to plan on the tougher standard. We are joined uh, on the phone by Paul Eisenstein, publisher and editor of the DetroitBureau.com, also by John Paul McDuffie, uh, Wharton Management Professor and Director of the Program on Vehicle Mobility Innovation. Uh, John Paul, I know we, I, I, I've asked you this before, but I, I wanted to bring it back up. And when, when, yeah. when the 54.5 standard was put into play, uh, or at least announced by the, uh, by the White House, was that a fair estimate as, as to what automakers could realistically try to reach. And again, for a lot of people that don't follow it, the idea of 54.5 was over your fleet of vehicles, not you had to have every vehicle meeting that standard. Mm-hmm. Right. No, um, absolutely. And, it, and of course, it's, it's also based on a testing regime that's that, uh, where you can get a higher number than anyone would expect you to get in, in daily use. It was clearly a stretch goal, and it was a stretch goal imposed at a time when the administration, the Obama administration, had leverage because it was right after the bankruptcy uh, rescue of uh, GM and Chrysler. Yeah. And it fit with a lot of other goals the Obama administration wanted to push. I think the feeling was, let's ask the industry to really stretch to do this. Maybe more will be possible than they think. Maybe demand will shift in the direction of fuel efficiency or electric vehicles. And I think there was probably also a sense, always a sense that, hey, we can stretch it out or we can give more flexibility along the way as needed. And some of that happened even during the Obama administration. So mm-hmm. and I, I do feel like there has been a, a lot of innovation in drivetrain technology and yeah. a lot of it even within the internal combustion engine without having to get into hybrids oh, yeah. and electric. Yeah, if I can jump in there, John Paul, you're absolutely right. Uh, consider the new... The Ford F-150 diesel model that's coming out. A a full-size pickup getting 30-plus miles a gallon? Could you imagine that just a few years ago when even even subcompacts were struggling to make 30 mpg? Uh, And by the way, the, the, the real number, when you adjust for all the credits and other things that the automakers would get... Uh, the reality is that the, the average vehicle in the fleet in 2025 will be getting somewhere, would have had to get somewhere in the neighborhood of about 42 to 44 miles per gallon, because there was a little bit of wiggle room to reflect uh, variances in sales, whether yeah. utes and pickups were dominating the market or sedans and compact hatchbacks. Gentlemen, so it, oh, okay. go ahead, John Paul. Well, it just it would it would be a shame to have the automakers stop looking for those things. And I think, as Paul mentioned, uh, when companies like uh, Toyota and Honda and even Ford, to some degree, say we're going to go ahead, we don't want these changes, and we're going to go ahead and observe the uh, the higher standards anyway, it suggests they're not going to stop. Great having you both with us as always. Thank you, John Paul. Thank you, Paul. Great to be with you. Thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.